Hello, this is Reading with Finus. I am Finus. I'm reading American Indian Myths and Legends today. The story from that book that I'm going to read is Part 5, Counting Coup, War and the Warrior Code. So it'll be like the intro of the next part of the next chapter of the stories that we'll have, like legends and myths, you know. Um, follow me at Everything's Just Fine on Instagram to see illustrations of mine. Hey, 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 try to read every day. If not, don't even worry about it. I got you. Anything I want to say? No, I want to jump into this. I'm excited. Uh, not about war, but to get into chapter part five, you know, to some new stores, stories. All right, here we go. Part five, counting coup, war in the warrior code. War for many Indians was an exciting but dangerous sport. In a way, it resembled a medieval tournament. Governed by strict rules of conduct, the battlefield became an area for an intensely personal competition of honor in which a young man might make a name for himself and earn the eagle feathers which signified adulthood. One could be killed in this game, but killing enemies was not the reason why men went to war. Total war resulting in the extinction extinction of a tribe was almost unknown and generally not cool. War parties were formed as much for personal as for political reasons. A few young men would be attracted to an experienced leader whose medicine they considered good. There was no stigma attached if a man refused to come because he had a discouraging dream or another token of bad medicine. Leaders had no inherent power to command or enforce obedience, only the sway of their prestige or charisma. In battle, every man behaved more or less as his own warrior code dictated. Lives were not squandered for small gains, if possible, for every life was precious. To people living in, in small hunting bands, a single man killed would be sorely missed. A leader lost standing if he lost a man, even if his foray was otherwise successful. The conduct of war was a ceremonial affair, full of magic and ritual. Men rode to war with protective medicine bundles, miracle-working pebbles, or medicine shields. Their horses covered with sacred dust or painted with lightning designs, all intended to make the wearer arrow or bulletproof and to give his horse supernatural speed. The main object, object in any battle, and the only way to gain honors, was to count coup, to recon one's brave deeds. Killing a man from an ambush with a gun was no coup, because it was easy. Even a coward could do it. But riding up on an unwounded, fully armed enemy and touching him with the hand or with one's coop stick was a great feat. Stealing horses right under the enemy's noses uh, was also a fine coup. Coups had to be witnessed in order to be recognized. Though in a few tr tribes, a man could swear upon the pipe or some other sacred object, that what he said was true. A warrior's eagle feathers were notched, split, or dotted with paint to indicate what kind of coup he had counted. 
how many enemies he had slain, or how often and in what way he had been wounded. Coups were proudly boasted of around campfires, their stories and details told and retold. In some tribes, a young man could not aspire to marry unless he had a count coup. Three of these tales describe the bravery of women, including the great buffalo calf road woman, heroine of the Battle of the Rosebud, which was fought just before Light Bighorn in 1876 in Montana. Most young men belong to one of their tribe's several warrior societies, each with its own legend of origin, its own way of dressing, its special paraphernalia, songs, and ceremonies. One became a member on invitation or by being sponsored by an old warrior, often a relative. In some tribes, one could buy into a society by a gift of horse or other valuables, but generally leaders were interested only in brave young men who would do credit to the group as a whole. In some stories, such as the Sioux Kit Foxes or the Cheyenne Dog Soldiers, there were death-defying men who, during a battle, pinned their sashes to the ground as a sign that they would fight it out on the spot until victory or death. A wounded prisoner, if had shown himself particularly brave, might be spared and adopted into the tribe of his captors. All but one of these ten tales come from the Plains Indians, who still have the most highly ritualized war story tradition in North America. The Lakota Dakota people hailed out from the 1850s through the 1890s in the longest heroic resistance to the inclusion of white armies, and no other tribes have so carefully recorded the heroic deeds of heroes on teepees, war shields, embroidery, and of course, in the body of legends which are told today. When the population are reduced to the living on reservations, when populations are reduced to living on reservations, ancient deeds of value became even more crucial to the preservation of a positive identity. In the East, the process of tale collecting was so corrupted by the prejudice of the collectors that many important war and other stories have been lost. With the exception of some Uruguayan legends, the southwestern desert people have traditionally been too peaceful to generate a large body of war myths, though some tales of Apache and Navajo raids do still exist. And that is getting us ready for the next story, which will be Little Mouse Counting Coup. I, I got nothing to say about the intro. I don't know. I'm not a big fan of war, but this seems like there is, at the end of it, the importance of it in storytelling. Yeah, I mean, you know, hey, in the stories, let's, let's do it. Enjoy yourself. Have a have a good night or good day. Ba-do-do-do-do, ba-do-do-do.